I'm Nathan Whitaker, and this is 1618. In today's episode, I'd like to talk about what the Bible has to say about self-defense. If you're like me, you have been following the Rittenhouse trial now for the last couple of weeks, and it's gotten me thinking about uh, self-defense and where does a Christian draw the line. Immediately in my mind, I'm thinking, of course, every Christian should act in self-defense to save themselves if uh, a situation arises where an assailant is trying to use irreparable harm or is trying to attack you. But what does the Bible really say about self-defense and how a Christian should act? Is it okay for a Christian to act out in violence? Is it okay for a Christian to use a gun or to use a knife or even to use their fists to attack somebody, whether it be a bully on the playground, whether it be someone who broke into your house? And what about war and law enforcement and the judicial system? How do we understand these things in light of the revelation of the Bible? Well, today I'd like to talk about this topic of self-defense, and I think it's really important that we draw two distinctions. Uh, First of all, there's the distinction of the citizen, and then there's the distinction of the state. And the Bible kind of deals with both of these categories separately. There are uh, different rules for each of these categories. Uh, So most of us will fall into the citizen. The citizen is someone who does not work in law enforcement, does not work in the judicial system, does not work in the military. And I've looked at five things that I want to share with you that talk about uh, a citizen's rights or lack of rights, uh, according to the Bible, in terms of self-defense. The first one is that a citizen does not have total permission to use the sword. I I use the word sword because that's the word that the Bible uses, but we can kind of uh, relate that to any weapon or any means of afflicting damage. The citizen does not have total permission to use a weapon of this kind. We can find verses such as Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 4, which talks about uh, our submission to governing authorities. But in it, in these verses, uh, it kind of gives distinction between the citizen not having that permission to use the sword, but the state or the ruler or the authorities having that permission. Let me just read Romans 13, 1 through 4. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended." Now here's the key verse, verse 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So this is kind of giving us the distinction, and we'll come back to these verses when we talk about the state, but this is giving us the distinction that specifically the sword or the punishment or uh, the bringing of wrath uh, to the wrongdoer lies with the state. That does not lie with the citizen, and this is an important thing to keep in mind. 
So the first thing that I want to point out is that a citizen does not have total permission to use the sword, but does that mean that they have no permission to use the sword? Well, we can see uh, in the New Testament, even among the disciples, that they have permission to be armed in self-defense. And where am I getting this? Well, if we look in Luke chapter 22, verse 36, we can see Jesus' instructions to the disciples as he was sending them out. Luke 22, verse 36. It says, He said to them, that's Jesus, But now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Now, some people might say that this is not a literal command of Jesus, that perhaps he was not telling his disciples and the people he was sending out to go and buy a sword and to always be armed with a sword. And they might say that it's more of a figurative or it's more of just a metaphor uh, of being prepared for things that might come. But what is the example that we see from the actual 12 disciples that followed Jesus. Well, when we look at the Garden of Gethsemane, we see that Peter himself had a sword. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 52, we have this scene where Peter cuts off the servant of the high priest. He cuts off his ear. And what was Jesus' response to this? It wasn't to say, uh, oh, you shouldn't have had a sword in the first place. Because if we look back at Luke chapter 22, verse 36, Jesus instructed them to have a sword or to have some way of defending themselves. Instead, Jesus said to put your sword back in its place, meaning its sheath. So I assume that Peter was not being condemned for having a sword in the first place, but instead he was told to put it back in its place. I just want to focus on the fact that a citizen has permission to be armed in self-defense. And this is not just the law of the land, but I'm looking at what is our true citizenship, and that is to the kingdom of God. And so our true law must first be the law of the Lord, the Bible. So when looking at the Bible, we see that the citizen does have permission to be armed in self-defense. Going along with that, the next thing I want to point out is that the citizen has a limited permission to attack an assailant. Well, we might think that anybody who is trying to do us harm, if we are armed, if we have some sort of weapon, anyone who's trying to do us harm, uh, we should have full right to attack them uh, whenever we want. And there is a verse in Exodus chapter 22 that oftentimes we don't even realize or we overlook. But Exodus chapter 22 gives us very clear instructions about when a citizen can use deadly force to attack an assailant and when they cannot. So it's a limited permission. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 2, it says, If a thief is caught breaking in at night and is struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. So now there's a really important distinction that the Bible is making. It says that if a thief breaks in at night, but it's dark, I don't think that this is necessarily just talking about time of day. I think it's talking about if a thief breaks in at night and you can't see him, or there is no light illuminating the thief, and you strike him with the fatal blow out of fear for your life, then you are not guilty of bloodshed. But if that thief breaks in and the lights are on, or you can see, or it's in the day, then if you would strike him with a fatal blow, then you would be guilty of bloodshed. Now, this is something that we can often think is backwards, or maybe not backwards, but doesn't really give full rights to the homeowner. You would think a property owner should be able to defend their property when anybody steps foot on it who shouldn't be there. But the Bible is making an important distinction that if we can see our assailant, if we can see the person who has broken into our house and we kill them, then we are guilty of their blood. 
The fourth thing that I want to point out is that a citizen does not have permission to seek revenge. Now, why does this play into it? Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 19, which says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Also in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So what do these texts teach us about seeking revenge? Well, you might not think immediately that seeking revenge is tied to self-defense, but many of us might have an instinct to fight back or to attack even after the immediate crisis is over. For example, if someone were to break into your house and they were perhaps endangering your family or endangering yourself, but then they were leaving... At that point, the threat is now over, and we don't have the right to attack them, to seek revenge, to act out of anger. Instead, the Bible is telling us that leaving that to the Lord is the right thing to do, because it is the Lord's job to seek revenge. It is the Lord's job to exact vengeance on that person. So it's important for us to keep this in mind about self-defense. If, if we are in a situation where we need to act in order to stop an assailant, are we acting in the moment of struggle? Are we acting in the moment of danger? Or are we acting after that danger is passed, but out of anger, out of fear, out of hate, and trying to exact revenge upon the person who just committed a crime? The last thing that I want to point out is that a citizen's punishment for the wrongful killing of another citizen is death. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, God says it very plainly, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. Now, many people might say that's in the Old Testament, and those laws don't necessarily apply to us anymore. And while I might disagree with that, I will look and first defend this verse because it gives the reason that capital punishment is necessary if someone sheds the blood of another person. It says, for in the image of God has God made mankind. So the reason why human blood is required if human blood is shed is not because of the Old Testament law. It's not because of a tradition. It's not because uh, God said, for this time, this is the rule that I want you to live by. But instead, it's because it's a direct violation. It's a direct attack. It's a direct disgrace to the very image of God, which is imprinted on every single person. And so by taking the life, by taking human blood, we are to repay that with human blood, because it is a sin against God. I've decided to separate these two categories of citizen and state into two episodes, just due to the length of the episodes. So look for the discussion about the rights of the state to bear the sword on Friday. Thank you for listening to this episode of 1618. I hope you have many questions about this topic, and I hope to talk about it more and more. I'm actually looking to try and do an interview with someone in law enforcement. If you know anybody that would be interested in doing an interview with me and talking on the subject, someone who is a Christian working in the law enforcement or the judicial system or the military, I would love to reach out to that person to have an interview with them, to have them on the show, in order for us to get a better perspective of what it's like when the rubber hits the road. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you share it. I ask that you subscribe for free to following this podcast on Spotify, on Apple, anywhere that you get your podcast. You can also find all of my episodes on Facebook. You can see updates on my Facebook page. And if the Lord has put it on your heart to donate to this podcast and donate to our ministry, you can do so via Patreon or you can reach out to me directly. For more information on all of those things, you can visit my website at 1618podcast.com. That's 1618podcast.com. I pray that the Lord may bless you and may give all of us wisdom when dealing with these difficult issues, and that our focus may always be on living a life that is glorifying to God and winning more souls for Him.